We are in Romans chapter number 14. If you have your Bibles today, I do want to encourage you to open up your physical Bibles today. Man, I want to get better at that, man. I, I'm, look, I'm all, y'all know I'm all about technology. I read my Bible oftentimes on my iPad or on my phone. But man, there's just something about holding a Bible, especially this one. Y'all know I love my brown Bible. Um, so I love this thing. If you want to feel it after the service, I'll let you hold it. It's like the nicest, coolest leather you've ever felt in your life. And it wasn't that expensive. So I love my, anyway, love my Bible. Um, but if you have your physical Bible, great. If not, we will have the verses on the screen here in a second. And obviously, I'm comfortable with you looking on the app. Um, no problem with that at all. We're trying to adjust our temperature. I know, <laughs> trying to work. This is that weird time of year, y'all. Like, so we're working on it. We turned, actually, I think the air might be on for a second. It's going to try to knock it back down a little bit. I know it got a little warm there with all of us lifting up our voices to Jesus with our hot breath. All right, so we're working on it. And um, if you would, any complaints about the, um, about the uh, temperature, if you would take them to Jeff. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Take all your complaints to Jeff. If you, thought it felt, if you thought it felt great, see me afterwards. Just let me know how good it felt. No, just kidding. Romans chapter 14 is a, an incredible passage of scripture. We've been in this, in this for a couple of weeks now. And the sermon series title is simply Dealing with Differences. Dealing with Differences. How do we coexist in our Christian life? How do we coexist um, in this church? How do we coexist with other believers that don't think the same way about everything that we do? Okay? How do we do that? The first Sunday, we, we, what we're talking about is people that believe differently in the non-essentials of our faith. So the first Sunday, two weeks ago, we took the entire sermon and we plainly and clearly told you what the essentials of the faith were. If we're going to understand what the non-essentials are, we must understand the essentials. So we, we spoke about things like the uniqueness of, of Jesus, his virgin birth. The fact that he claimed to be God. Um, we, we spoke about the necessity of the cross and how salvation is by grace and through faith. And it's not of anything we can do. It is of what Jesus has already done. We spoke about the resurrection of Christ and his soon coming, his second coming. And how we know that that's a, a truth and a promise from God's word. We spoke about those things. Second week, we identified, this was last week, we identified if we have essentials. Then we also have non-essentials, and in our chapter here, you're going to hear again today, and this is just introduction, so bear with me, some of the non-essentials, the ones that were in the text last Sunday, were those that would esteem one day over the other, and the way that we would look at that in context would be probably the Sabbath. We had the Jews who believed strongly in the traditional Old Testament Sabbath. In fact, they believe so strongly about the Sabbath that when they were trying to paint Jesus in a corner and make him look like a sinner and turn the Jews against Jesus, what do they do? They attacked everything Jesus did on the Sabbath. Why were you healing on the Sabbath? Why well, I can't believe you would do that. Would you go eat with those people on the Sabbath? Okay, so Sabbath was a big deal to them, but it was a non-essential. 
Because the, 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 the New Testament is the fact that Jesus came to give the gospel and the good news to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so Paul says, one person says the Sabbath is important. Another person says, I've never done that. I have no idea what you're talking about. The Sabbath doesn't mean anything to me. I grew up a Gentile. That's a non-essential. The other one that they mentioned here was about eating. One would say they would eat meat. Other would say they would not eat meat. And other portions of scripture you... They use in this context meat offered to idols against meat not offered to idols. Just what we eat and the things that we consume. And those were non-essential. Some people are going to feel one way about it. Some people are going to feel the other way about it. And it's okay. But then we came to a third principle last Sunday in our sermon. And that is essentials, non-essentials. But then what about those important things? Those things that are clear in Scripture, but that don't hold the weight of the deity of Christ. Does that make sense? I hope we made sense last week. And we spoke about things like sexual sins. We spoke about things like clear commands in Scripture. You are to flee this. You are to stop this. The works of the flesh in Galatians. Those things are very clear in Scripture. Now, they do not alter Heaven and hell. But they're very clear. And so we call that the principle of importance. Those are important. And here's where we closed last Sunday. I want to bring everybody together on this. I will not fight over my non-essentials. I will fight over the essentials. And I will stand on the important matters. Does that make sense? I won't fight you over here. I will fight you over here. And I will stand firmly right here. I think that's fair. I think that's a good balanced approach. And and, and certainly if we wanted to be a seminary class this morning, we could probably break those three categories down even further. That's not the goal today. It's not to make it more difficult. That's not the goal. But today I want to take the next step in this passage. I will give you a preview. Next Sunday we're going to speak of of dealing with our brothers. The dangers sometimes of dealing with those that have differences. Some warnings that are given in the scripture. That's where we're headed. Okay? Before today, bear with me. Here we are. A tale of two brothers. A tale of two brothers. Brothers, this is not our text this morning, but when I think about that title, I think about the prodigal son. When I think about a tale of two brothers, do you remember the story of the prodigal son? You had one son, the wild, rambunctious type, and that one son said, Father, I'm ready to get my inheritance right now. Give it to me. Y'all know anybody like that? Give it to me right now. I want my inheritance. I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do. Father doesn't hinder him. Father gives and he goes off. And what does the Bible say? He wastes his money. He winds up broke, no friends, willing to, willing to eat from the pig's trough. And he says, I'm not worthy. I guess I'm going to go back to my father, but I'm not going to go back and even ask to be a son. I'm going to go back and say, I'll be your servant. You remember that story, that beautiful story 
of God the Father seeing that son and running towards him and grabbing him and kissing him and and providing a party for him and saying, you're not coming back as a slave. No, you're coming back as my son. And we know that story of the prodigal son, but remember there was another brother. What was that other brother doing when the father was restoring the prodigal? What was that other brother doing? Well, you never did this for me. I served you. I kept the rules. I did everything I was supposed to do. I checked off all the boxes. And you've not done any of that for me. And the father rebukes him. The tale of two brothers there was they believed radically different. One of them believed, if I keep all the rules and I do everything just exactly right, certainly I will outshine my brother who has gone away. Certainly I will be the one that everything is given to and we will party in my name for the rest of my life. That other brother, not good, but went and wasted everything. Could have cared less about his father. But they were both wrong and there was a tale of two brothers. Very different from one another. Well, this tells you, brothers, today is in Romans chapter 14. I hate to do this to you again. We're going to read from verse 1. Okay, we're, we are unpacking this chapter. If you leave this series not understanding Romans 14, that is your fault, okay? We have literally started in verse 1 all three weeks, and that's where we're starting again today. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. By the way, that's what we called the non-essentials, the doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. That's where we're heading next week. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike, or the same. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died, rose, and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. I'm an only child. I don't know if you can tell. Um, Basically what that means is every time I go to my parents' house, they make the exact food that I like. That means that uh, I was spoiled from a young age. That means I didn't have to deal like with sibling conflict much, you know. In fact, to this day, as I parent my 
two. I can't figure out why they fight with each other. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, you're sisters. You should never fight. Um, and they laugh at me just like you just did. Um, but a tale of two brothers. The prodigal son, the older brother. The brothers mentioned here in this text. I want us to dive into this today, and I want us to understand this, and I believe it's going to help you as we deal with differences. Number one, discerning the weak from the strong. Discerning the weak from the strong. This is from the first three verses. Receive one who's weak in the faith, not to disputes over doubtful things, one who's weak, okay? For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, the weak. And let not him who does not eat, the weak, judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now we are, we are taking, not for granted, I believe this is the biblical principle here, it identifies the weak in this verse. Now it will further identify the strong, but we are going to take this if the weak is the one um, who believes you should only eat vegetables, then the strong is the one who, who is willing to eat all things. Okay, now that is proven further in our, in our chapter, so I'm not taking that out of context at all. But we can logically see that, even in these first three verses. So I want to ask you this question. I don't want you to raise your hand and respond um, publicly, but I want you to answer this question in your heart and in your mind. And like, I want you to think about who first comes to mind, okay? Who is the strongest Christian that you know? Who is the strongest Christian that you know? Don't answer it. I can't handle hearing my name so much at one time. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a lie. All right. Who's the strongest Christian you know? I have to be very honest with you. <clears throat> Do you know where the tendency, where I tend to go when I'm asked that question? where I tend to let my mind go to when I think about the strongest Christians that I ever know. You know what it is? Well, this person, they never, they never even listen to any other type of music other than sacred hymns. This person over here, they would not even go to the grocery store during regular hours because people might think they were buying the smokes or the drinks. This person over here, I could not, I, there's no way that I could ever um, hang out with them because, or, or my family, we could hang out with them because we didn't do everything. Exactly, but they were so strong. They had so many boundaries. They had so many, their checklist that they checked off was so much longer than anyone else's. If I'm not careful, when I start thinking about the strongest Christians, man, the strongest, they believe this certain, this certain uh, doctrine of, of the Bible so strongly. And so I start thinking about that. Who is the strongest Christian that I know? And the irony is in this text and throughout Scripture, but especially in this text that we are looking at in Romans chapter 14. The one who has more guardrails and the one who has more boundaries 
And the one who has to put more walls up and restrictions up in their life is called not the strong brother, but the weak. The weaker brother. And can we just think about that for just a second very logically? Why would someone need all of the restrictions and all of the boundaries and all of the rules? Why? Because in their flesh, they had not matured yet as a believer. And so they needed all of these restrictions placed in their life so that they could formulate their relationship with God through His Spirit. I've given you this illustration, church, numerous times. But I must do it again because it, it, it's so... It's so important. Back a few years ago, I used to be much more into watching MMA fighting. And so, as you know, back in those days, now it's, it's, it's gotten much bigger. And there's a lot. I was in on the ground level, grassroots, organic. Um, I just consumed only organic MMA. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but back in that day, you know, maybe 10 years ago, let's say, the UFC fights were on Saturday night, and the prelims would start like 9, 10, and you weren't getting your main event in the fight that you cared about seeing until after midnight, easy, sometimes after 1 a.m. I led a young couples group at that time, probably wasn't the greatest idea for Sunday morning church attendance, but every time there was a UFC event on Saturday night, we went over to one of the person, people's house, and we would watch it together, whole crew of us. Like I said, like 10% of them would show up at church the next day. Terrible church builder, but hey, man, we had a lot of fun together. Um, but I would invite, there was a guy who started coming to our church. I didn't know him that well. But the one thing that I did find out when I met him is that he used to train locally here in mixed martial arts. So he used to train, um, got pretty good at it, was very passionate about it. He had only been saved about a year or two. And he came to our church. I found that out about him. And I'm like, hey, what a great way to reach out to somebody. Like, here's a newer Christian, a, a newer believer. Like, let's get him to come to these UFC fights. He can get to know more people. And we can hang out kind of like in circles are better than rows. So let's do this. And each time I would invite him, he would come up with something. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. It's been a busy week. And I'm just not going to be able to make it Saturday. Okay, that's fine. No big deal. Uh, you know what, man, I'm going out of town first thing Monday morning. I really just need to get everything together. and You know you know how it is. You know how it is when you're trying to get out of something and you don't really want to say the real reason, right? You, don't lie and act like you don't do that. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. You're like, yeah, I got a work trip coming up in January. I cannot go. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was kind of that, right? It was kind of like, okay, well. And they were all kind of like surface things. And I'll never forget, I asked him one time, I said, hey man, we got another fight coming up Saturday. I know you haven't been able to come yet, but look, we'd love to have you. And I remember him pulling me off to the side. And I remember saying, Josh, let me, I need to explain something to you, because I just, I feel like I need to do this. I feel like you'd understand. I'm like, yeah, man, go ahead. He's like, yeah, you know, you, you know I used to train in MMA. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know, you told me. He's like, well, I also need to tell you that, like, I had a... a I was a, a raging alcoholic, and I had a drug problem. And the people that I trained MMA with were the people that fed that lifestyle. They're the ones who I went out with. They're the ones who 
got me connected. Those, those were, that was the crew. And so he says, when you invite me to those things, anytime I get around that, it takes me back to that place in my life where I need to get away from. And I said, man, like, once again, next week, I was like, bro, I will never, I will never invite you to one of those. I said, I'll tell you what, it's a standing offer. If you get to the place where you feel like you can begin to work your way back into MMA and being around that culture, you feel like that you are, you ready? Strong enough to take down that guardrail, then let me know. We would love to have you come hang out. Do you, do you follow that? He was weak in that area because of his experiences in life. That was a gateway, that was a trigger in his mind that took him to a place that he never wanted to go back to. And so in that moment, he was the weaker brother and he had a guardrail up that I, who have obviously never trained in MMA and did not have friends that got me drugs and fed my alcoholism, I, in that situation, was the stronger brother who had fewer guardrails and fewer walls around me. Does that make sense? So listen, we must understand this truth. The stronger we become in our faith, the more we can esteem every day the same. Figuratively, the more we can eat whatever is put before us. The more we become strong in our faith, the more we can go to that place with a clear conscience, with those people with a clear conscience, and live as a Christian with a clear conscience, and be a good example with a clear conscience, and love people with a clear conscience. Now, next week we're going to talk about stumbling blocks. Next week we're going to talk about loving people. Don't get ahead of me. We're laying, we're walking through this chapter. So the quote that I want you to get from this first point, the stronger you grow in your faith, the more freedom you should experience in your practical daily living. The stronger you grow in your faith, the more freedom you should experience in your practical daily living. Can I take it to this illustration? The recovering alcoholic might not need to go out with the buddies immediately to watch the game at a sports bar. Is that fair? But as the recovering alcoholic recovers and restores and Jesus works in his life and the spirit leads and the spirit strengthens and he becomes stronger in his faith, there will come a time where that person can say, I can do this with a clear conscience, live like a Christian, be an encouragement, live like, let's be honest, Jesus, because I'm stronger today 
than I was a year ago. I'm stronger today than I was six months ago. Because my, my faith in Jesus has gotten stronger so that I can become more free. I'll be honest with you. This, is an, this was an uncomfortable point number one for me. Because, because this, this like spits in the face of legalistic Christianity. This spits in the face of it. Legalistic Christianity says the, the more right with God you are, the more rules you will put up. And the Bible says the more right with God you are, the more freedom in Christ you have so that you can get closer to unbelievers, so that you can develop deeper relationships with people who need Jesus. So I say to the strong Christians in this room, when your job has a Christmas party and you're not sure what all is going to go on at the Christmas party, to the strong, I say, go to the party. And be a light for Jesus and encourage people and hug people's neck and tell them Merry Christmas. Not sarcastically when they say Happy Holidays, uh, but, but say, say Merry Christmas to people. And when they ask how things are going, brag on Jesus and what he's doing in your life. But I, I think I, I must be the shepherd of this church. And I must say this, to those that are weak, to those that are weak, it's okay that you put up a guardrail. To those that are weak, it's okay when they say, hey, come to the party after work. It's okay that you say, I don't believe that's best. Listen, we've been in a church for five years. I have seen this play out. I have seen people in our church that needed to say no for a specific amount of time, and they did. And you know what I've seen? Them grow stronger in their faith and be able to say yes. Now, we're going to talk about what Paul says in a... Before we get done with the series, y'all going to be like, oh, Paul said that? Just wait. Discerning the weak from the strong. Discerning the weak from the strong. Listen, there's some strong Christians in this room. Okay, you need to quit beating yourself up. You need to quit living in guilt. You need to quit putting man-made barriers in your life that God never put there. And you need to serve people and love people. They need to be looking at you going, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners? That's what Jesus did. Okay? There's some weak people, weak in the faith in certain areas in this room, that probably need to say, hey, there needs to be a wall right here. Because I need to grow stronger in that area. Before I'll ever take that wall down, I want to grow stronger in this area. Is that fair and balanced this morning? I'm trying to be fair with Scripture. I'm trying to be balanced with Scripture this morning. Number one, discerning the weak from the strong. And number two, I love this truth about brothers. Okay, number two, two brothers, one father. Two brothers, one father. One father, look at our text. Don't take my word for it. Look at our text. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. That's where we're going to jump to. Verse 7, none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself for if we live we live to the lord if we die we die to the lord whether or therefore whether we live or we die we are the lord's for to this end christ died rose and lived again that he might be lord of both the dead and the living 
Do you know what this text tells us? This text tells us that while there are are stronger brothers and weaker brothers, while there are brothers that believe certain ways on non-essentials and brothers that believe other ways on non-essentials, do you know what this text teaches us? Is that we are all a part of God's family. And if I may say this, God's family is often more inclusive than you are comfortable with. God's family is often more inclusive than you are comfortable with. You say, I saw this one church. They were doing this and that, and I saw their live stream, so that's proof. And I can't believe they did this or that. Hey, God's family is a little more inclusive than you are. Well, I can't believe this one church is still doing this. They're still stuck in this doing this. Hey, God's family is more inclusive than we're comfortable with. Two brothers, one father. Most of you in this room have a sibling, a brother or a sister. I think you could all, I I just caught eyes with Jeff. I think we could all say, your sibling is different than you. And can I get an amen? Yeah, come on. Some of y'all might be in the room. We got siblings in the room. Oh, we got siblings. Okay, yep. I think we could all say in our physical families, I have a brother or sister, and I am different than my brother or sister, and I am so glad that I am because I don't want to be like him or I don't want to be like her. See, we got them over here. We got people high-fiving. We got people laughing, elbowing people. Listen, for some reason we can understand it in our physical families, but for some reason it becomes a challenge to recognize it in the spiritual. That radically different people can be fathered by the same God. That people that see literally the 50-50 things, that see them exactly the opposite, can be from the same father. Two brothers and one father. And so may I warn you this morning. May I warn you very strongly. We need to be very careful how we treat and what we say about, and the way we feel about God's children. That person that you disagree with on everything, they're God's child. Hey, that person that you work with, that John, John, John works a lot, works a lot of doubles and overtime. I'm sure, John, there's somebody at work. I'm not going to make you testify. Because we're on live stream. I don't want to hear it. I'm sure there's somebody at work that you're like, man, of all the people at work, this is probably the most difficult person that I have to work with. Right? I'm sure Melissa doesn't have any of those people. You know. And we all do. Yeah, Aaron has one of those people. I'm just kidding. Anyway. um, That's God's child. That's God's child. You say, well, that's not a believer. Well, that's still God's creation. That's an image bearer of God. And we need to be very careful how we treat God's people. We need to be very careful the strong opinions we form 
especially of a brother and sister in Christ. The person you disagree with is God's child. The religious zealot who, in your opinion, takes everything to the extreme way too far, guess what? They're God's child. That believer that lives in so much freedom, you say, and makes you uncomfortable, it's God's child. I tell myself this often. Sometimes we just need to take a step back. And we need to breathe. And we need to pray. And then we need to engage. You know what we do? We engage. We can barely breathe. We fight. We argue. Then we take a step back and go, God, why did I do that again? Listen, that believer who lives with more restrictions than you, that's God's child. That believer that lives in more freedom than you, that's God's child. Our text says that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord because we are the Lord's. Thirdly, and we're done, soup is waiting. So where does this all come together, right? We have a weaker brother, we have a stronger brother. Where does this all come together? We have the same father. Where can we like say, okay, like let's take this to the bank. Where are we heading? Here's thirdly, individual accountability is inevitable. Man, this ain't going to be long because it's very straight and to the point. I'm about to just punch you right in the face with it, all right? You ready? Like Jake Paul did to Anderson Silva last night, speaking of MMA. Not many of y'all follow it. Or the people that follow it aren't here this morning. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> y'all are up too late. Um, Romans 1 <laughs> and verse 10. Sometimes I just need to, anyway, that's all good. All right, Romans 1 verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Great question. Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us, individually shall give account of himself to God. Listen, when this life is all said and done, Caleb has to give an account for Caleb. You know who he does not have to give an account for? Me. Aaron has to give an account for Aaron with an E. She doesn't have to give an account for CT. You see, we spend a lot of our lives so concerned about what other people think, how they act, what they do, how they say it, what do they say, how did it affect me, what do I feel about it, when at the end of the day, Paul says, hey, bro, Hey, sis, you're going to stand before God. We need to spend more time making sure we're right and making sure we're biblical and making sure we are where we're supposed to be than trying to check off all of Shane's checklists. 
Well, he ain't what he needs to be there. He's not what he needs to be there. He's not what he needs to be there. Well, shut up. Because you're not what you are over here or over there or over there. We will all stand before the judge. We will all give account. We will all give account. So while I will love my brothers and while I will love my sisters, while I will encourage them, while we will come alongside people, while we will help people, while we will love people, while we will pour into people and we'll invest into people and we'll reach people, at the end of the day, you will stand before God on your own two feet. I had to figure that out as a teenager growing into adulthood, as a pastor's son. Hey man, stop standing in your dad's skis. Stop standing in your dad's shoes. You must stand on your own two feet. It's this really cool thing called individual soul. It's a part of individual soul liberty. That you will stand before God, and that's not the whole part of that, but it's a part of it. That you will stand before God for you. A tale of two brothers. Weaker, stronger, by the way, in closing, there will always be a weaker brother than you. And there's probably going to always be a stronger brother than you for the ladies. There's always a weaker sister than you. Got more rules and more regulations and more restrictions in her life. And there will probably always be a stronger sister than you that does not have as many barriers, walls in her life. It's probably a good place to be. Might be called balance. Probably a good thing. A tale of two brothers. We must discern the weak from the strong and not mix them because if we mix them, we turn into a legalist. If we think the stronger we get in our faith with God, the more restrictions we add into our life, we have become a legalist. We cannot flip them. Secondly, we must understand that while we are different, we are siblings, we are different, we are under one roof, and that is God, his house, his family. Two brothers, one father. And then individual accountability is inevitable. I close with this because Paul says it here. He gives us a glimpse in this portion of this chapter to the future. We will all stand before God. And I close this morning by informing you of that. Preparing you for that. Trying to encourage you in that. I do, man, I, I got to shut up, man. We got to go to lunch. As we stand before God, I want you to understand this. This is free. Your sins have already been paid for. So those of you that are like, oh, no. You will stand before God. You will give an account. This is what I believe for the things you have done on the good. Like, there's going to be things like things that we've done for people that we didn't even remember we did that God's going to say, I remember when you, I wanted to, I wanted to bring this up. 
I, anyway. So like, that's a thing to look forward to as a believer. It's a thing to look forward to. The only paying for sin that's going to happen in the afterlife are those that die without Jesus. So, get ready to see him face to face. Get ready. He loves you. You're his child. But I ask you that question. As you stand before God one day and you give an account for your life, I guess my question for you is, are you his child? Are you, are you a believer in him? Are you a brother or a sister in Christ? Are you a part of God's family? Have you trusted in Jesus? I didn't ask permission to do this, but I'm going to. She may hate me after this. It's okay. About three months ago, we went to a Mexican restaurant after church with Chance and Blair. Blair's here today. Blair works a lot. If you're in the Churchill's Connect group, you know Chance and Blair. Another reason why you should be in a Connect group. <clears throat> they had gone through starting point process. We were talking, having our meeting with them. And we started talking about growing up and how things were. And she shared a little bit of her testimony. She shared a little bit of his, like how, how life was growing up. And through conversation, 20 minutes, I don't know how long it was, 25, it could have been longer than that. All I know is it became very clear that Blair was ready to take that step. That Blair had been searching and asking and seeking. And that God had placed her at that table in a crowded Mexican restaurant with people asking us if we wanted more chips and salsa. By the way, the answer is always yes. Spring it. As, as my dad used to do, he'd just hold that basket up, chips, so they knew. I'm like, Dad, that is rude, man. Um, I don't typically do that. I don't typically do this. I'm pretty much of a private guy when it comes to that stuff. But we were sitting there, and I'm like, Blair, are you ready to trust Jesus right now? She's like, yeah. And right there over some chips and salsa, around 85 of our closest friends, you know what she did? She took the step of faith into God's family. Into God's family. She became a sister, a brother. And one day, she will stand before God and on her own two feet say, on that day, I believed in you. And so I ask you this. Do you have that day? Do you have that time when you believed in Jesus. You might be here, you might be a, a young person. We have some of our kids in here today. By the way, I loved hearing you sing this morning. You may be a kid, you may be a teenager, you may be an adult. I was 19 years old. I was, I was an adult, technically, by number, not by maturity. When I came face to face with the gospel and the Holy Spirit said, now's the time. Today's the day. Stop. Stop running. Stop lying. Stop faking. Today's the day. So I ask you, you will all stand before, each one of you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ on your own. And I ask you, what will you say on that day? Will it be Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe? Or will it be, I did my best. Man, I really thought you would understand. I really tried, I gave it my all, 
And when those sins that have not been paid for by the blood of Jesus, he'll say, yeah, I see all those things, but, and I don't want to hear this for me, Lord knows, but let me start at the very beginning when you were this age and this age and this age and this age and this age. Those are sins. Somebody's got to pay for them. I ask you today if you believe in Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.